Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. As businesses begin to reopen and protests about police brutality and racial injustice unfold around the country, it seems that a lot of Americans are shifting their attention away from COVID-19. But just because we choose not to look at it doesn't mean the coronavirus is going away. In many states, Michigan included, new cases are decreasing compared with the spikes that we saw in March and April. But if there is anything we know about this virus, it's that it is erratic and doesn't follow predictable patterns. And put simply, gathering to protest, even for a serious and important cause, is still a big risk. This is especially true for African-Americans who are contracting the virus at higher rates than whites, a result of health disparities that are part of the very systemic racism these protests are trying to address. We are going to get into the intersectionality of racial justice, health disparities, and COVID-19 a little later in the hour. But first, here to tell us more about where we stand nationally in terms of coronavirus cases and how reopening the economy or heading out for a protest could result in a second wave is Robinson Meyer. He's a staff writer at The Atlantic who just co-wrote a comprehensive piece on this very subject. Rob, welcome to Detroit Today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, let's start here. The Atlantic has created the COVID tracking project, of which you are a part. What are we seeing in terms of new cases being confirmed nationally each day? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of new cases, you know, they're certainly down um, at a national level from where they were at the peak of, you know, at what we would might think of the last peak of the epidemic in late April or, or May. But that's driven mostly by a decline in the Northeast. You know, in New England and in the Mid-Atlantic cases have really come down precipitously. But in the Sun Belt now and in the West, cases have never really been higher. Um, and kind of the rest of the country has plateaued overall. So it seems like cases have fallen a lot if you just look at the national data. But when you start breaking out the regional data, you know, it looks more like we had this Northeastern epidemic um, or this kind of North, northeastern mid-Atlantic outbreak, followed by something of a midwestern outbreak in May, and that is now being swamped by a an outbreak that's growing throughout the Southwest um, and the and the South. Uh, and the the real exemplary, I mean, the most worrying state here is Arizona, which is both seeing cases and hospitalizations at an all-time high. Uh, ventilator use is soaring there. Um, it's pretty. It's a pretty worrying situation. And one of the things that I think all of us want and and desire to sort of keep our minds balanced and kind of quiet uh, over over this thing <laughs> is is some pattern of rationality. I mean, I think that's human instinct to to say, okay, well. Uh, the, the the virus is getting worse in this area because of X, Y, or Z factors that, that would explain it. Um, and it's not getting worse in this part of the country because uh, of A, B, and C factors. Are we able to draw those kinds of conclusions yet? Um, it, we, we, you know, I would say it, that's a great question. And I, completely feel that 
courage. Um, and I would say we are not able to fully do that yet. Mm. What we can do is for any one outbreak, uh, and I'm sure you know folks have heard epidemiologists do this. You can say, well, they have this attribute, they have this attribute. You know, they have dense housing, or they have uh, you know extensive public transit use or something, and and that's one reason you might have an outbreak here. But this other place, you know, they people congregating in large groups. Maybe that's why there's an outbreak. But I don't think there's we know it is especially good at deterring outbreaks on an international level, but I don't think there's a recipe yet for being able to say, well, there's definitely an outbreak here for, for X reason while there was not an outbreak here for Y reason. Um, in terms of the outbreaks we're seeing now throughout the South, um, it's, it's funny. I mean, Arizona opened on May, Arizona lifted its home order on May 16th. People were kind of immediately back out. Um, we're also seeing surges, by the way, in Texas. Uh, Texas hospitalizations are at an all-time high. Uh, North Carolina, Arkansas, Kentucky also seeing cases of hospitalizations rising, if not in an all-time high. Um, we're, in many ways, they're what people expected to see happen in Georgia. Uh-huh. But then when Georgia reopened kind of before other states in late April, but then it didn't happen in Georgia, or at least it hasn't happened in a way that we can see in the data in Georgia yet. Uh, while it has happened in these other states, in many ways, Arizona is what everyone thought was going to happen in Georgia. Um, I think until we get more local reporting there or more of a sense of what exactly is driving that spread, it's a little hard to say. Hmm. Uh, why isn't this plateauing that we're seeing a good thing? I think in a lot of people's minds, that word means, well, it's kind of leveling off. And maybe that does mean that we're on the other side, quote unquote, of, of, of the curve. Why is that not necessarily so? Yeah, I, I think if it was truly leveling off, um, we would feel slightly more confident about it. But I think the reason that this is an, uh, an issue, I mean, there's two reasons this is an issue. First of all, it is, you know, cases are plateauing in the U.S. They're, so they're stagnant. So they're just, they're just kind of hanging around at a, at a stable level. If they might be slightly decreasing at the national level. Um, but in other countries, you know, in, in much of Western Europe, for instance, uh, cases are precipitously falling. You know, the, the, the case, the, the virus is, is fully going away. It has been uh, just completely suppressed in many places. And so um, the fact that infections are falling slowly here um, but or, or not falling at all is bad news compared to Europe or compared to parts of Eastern Asia where it has fallen much more quickly. Um, and so we're still bearing a lot of the burden of this disease in a way that many of our, you know, peer countries are not bearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, the second concern is that if you have inf- infections at a stable level that allows surges to happen in certain places, as we're now seeing in the Sun Belt. And I'd say the third concern is that if the, there does turn to, if, there does turn out to be some climatic effect in the infections, or if there is a first surge and then a pause and a second surge. 
then our higher level of kind of background infection during this respite period that we're in right now Mm -hmm. um, will lead to an even bigger second surge. And so there's a number of reasons to be concerned about the fact that infections just aren't precipitously falling. I think the fact that any other future surge we get uh, could be could be really large because of that large background level of infections is probably mm-hmm. the most worrying. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with Robinson Meyer. He's a staff writer at The Atlantic and in co-wrote a story on the idea that maybe the coronavirus is not quite done with us, even though so many of us feel like we're done with the restrictions that uh, the pandemic imposed on us for such a long time. Um, we want to hear from you as well. Give us a call and tell us what you are doing as far as COVID-19 precautions. Are you still observing the same kinds of restrictions that uh, we had here in the state of Michigan for a couple of months? Uh, are you still limiting your time at stores, still sanitizing your groceries or washing your hands a lot? Uh, Are you wearing a mask when you are out in public? Uh, Or are you somebody who feels like those things aren't as necessary as they were before because we've started to see the numbers drop, drop precipitously here in the state of Michigan and the city of Detroit uh, in particular? Are you done with all of that? Are you saying it's time to get back to normal life? Also, give us a call and tell us if you are participating in the protests that we've seen here in the city of Detroit and around the country over the last few weeks. There are lots and lots of people out together in the streets protesting police brutality and systemic racism. Really, really important issues to raise your voice up against. But I think if if you're honest and look at the pictures and the videos, there's not a lot of social distancing going on at uh, at these protests. And the worry, I think, is that that could lead to a second surge of the coronavirus in uh, Detroit and, and other cities. Uh, again, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Um, before we get to listener comments, uh, Rob, uh, tell me what you make of these demonstrations, the size of the demonstrations, the closeness that you see when when people are demonstrating, uh, and and whether that alone could be the source of another surge for coronavirus cases. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at the demonstrations, you know, it's, it's, it's first of all, just a funny sight, because I think we are, are so uh, used to, after, after weeks and months of social distancing, of seeing photos of deserted public squares and deserted downtown areas of cities, to suddenly see them full of people again. And it's just very jarring. Um, and so then, of course, you know, when you look at the de- when I look at the demonstrations, as far as the, the protesters themselves, um, there's clearly some attempt at social distancing going on at some protests. I think, as you said, it's fair to say at most protests, especially the largest ones in cities, 
social distancing is is basically impossible. Hmm. Many, many protesters, and you see journalists from around the country saying this, um, I observed it in D.C., are wearing masks. Um, and we know masks are the, the most effective way of suppressing uh, transmission of the virus. At the same time, they're also standing close together. They're not social distancing, which we think is about the second most effective way. And many of them are yelling or chanting or singing. And the evidence right now suggests that anything you do with your voice that's loud, <laughs> like yelling or chanting, mm-hmm. um, is an especially fertile mode of transmission for the virus. Um, so that is worrying. I would have. I, I think there's two other important things to attach to when we talk about the protest, which is um, when we talk about who is responsible for making sure that people can exercise their civil rights during a public health crisis. Under actually both the U.S. law and international law, um, it's the state, it's the government, it's the police. And uh, there is a, a lot of thinking both domestically and interna- internationally about how um, you weigh kind of the need for people to express uh, their, to exercise their, their civil rights um, during a public health crisis. Of course, there hasn't been a pandemic this bad uh, for half a century, if not a century. Um, but there is a lot of thinking about this. And it, and it does come down to if people are expressing, uh, if people are holding the government accountable for decisions it's making, especially for decisions making about the public health crisis itself, mm. which we have seen some amount of the protests be about the disparate racial impact of COVID, um, then it's not in the government's, then the government shouldn't be suppressing it. Um, and not only that, but the government actually has some responsibility for making sure the protests go on safely. And there were a number of police tactics that have been used across the country that I think are quite worrying um, and, and will very likely exacerbate the pandemic. And so this one technique is called kettling, which is when you know officers will will cordon off an area or cram a lot of protesters together and then arrest them one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very concerning. The use of tear gas uh, or pepper spray, any kind of you know chemical irritant that makes people cough or gag, we know that makes it very easy to spread the virus. Um, when you know, even officers, I saw this happening in Detroit. You know, when a curfew sets in, there are still peaceful protesters out. We're not talking about looters. We're talking about people who are being fairly peaceful. Um, and then because those protesters are in violation of the curfew, they're arrested and sent to jail. Well, in, in D.C., at least, I can tell you, there's so many COVID cases in jails that the city has actually broken the jail count out of the city's overall numbers. It doesn't report them in the same count. Right. Um, because we know that these, these very enclosed indoor spaces like jails or like nursing homes um, or like meatpacking plants are just the, the easiest places for COVID to spread. Um, and so when you see people getting booked and then, you know, detained overnight or people getting crammed even closer together by police or people being, you know, shot with tear gas, um, in some ways that's what I'm most concerned about because that turns a situation that has some bad elements, but that, people are taking some measure of precaution uh, to one where people really have no ability to protect themselves uh, from, 
from viral transmission or prote- uh, to protect other people around them from getting the virus from them. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what you're doing right now in response to the coronavirus. Are you still social distancing? Are you still washing your hands an awful lot more than you used to? Are you avoiding public spaces with lots of people? Or are you convinced that all of those things are no longer necessary because we have seen cases go down and we have not seen new surges, at least here in Detroit or Michigan uh, as uh, we had been seeing in March and April. Uh, let's go to Susan in Oakland County. Susan, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, 58, and I have siblings who are in their 60s. So I am definitely still practicing. My partner and I actually decided to go in a week before the state mandated. We just saw it coming. And... You know, I my uh, siblings, who never really believed it, I'm feeling pressure from them. Last Sunday, um, I, I was visiting with nieces and nephews and my you know, my brother, and they asked me to take my mask off. Hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I just, you know. I ended up taking it off once, and then I thought, I'm just not going to see it, this group of people <laughs> until it gets resolved. And I have some uh, friends who, one friend in particular, um, who is very rigid about it, and I thought, well, I can't even see her with social distancing because now I may have been exposed, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to respect her her tightness, and yet, I, you know, wow, yeah, yeah, Susan, I, I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic, and I think there are a lot of people who find themselves in that situation because of of that dynamic. Uh, Rob, one of the things that strikes me about this is is again that the the belief that. Uh, that because things aren't as bad as they were before, that somehow it was either overblown, that the whole thing was was overestimated by authorities, uh, or that now we're just past it and the whole thing is going to go away. It's hard not to fall into that kind of thinking given the things that we can see and hear every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I really relate to the callers, to, to the caller Susan's point. I, I have been in exactly similar situations, uh, not quite needing to take my mask off, but at this point, in some ways, it feels like April was the easy part. You know, April was the part where um, we all knew exactly what to do. <laughs> and now that there's this different range of responses, it requires much more. Uh, social work. I mean, it's much more socially awkward in some ways to just uphold aspects of social distancing. Um, I mean, that you, I, I agree. I think that you're exactly right. It, it feels, what I'd say is that we're not rational creatures <laughs> as people. And in many ways, I think we all assumed, we all responded as it became clear in March. I know I did this. As, I, as it became clear in March that the virus was in the country, um, that it was pretty widespread, and that we didn't have enough tests to know where it was. Um, 
we all withdrew really quickly. Now we've been in social distancing for a while. People are starting to go back to their lives. They're going to grocery stores. Um, you know, in some place, places of the country, people are going without masks. Um, in fact, there's more background virus now than there was in March hmm. uh, in, in, in many regions. I'm, I'm not sure that's true in Michigan specifically because case, Michigan has done a, such a good job of suppressing. Um, but the virus is just around, of course, but of course, there's also <laughs> interstate travel, right? And, and people go visit relatives in Georgia, then they come back home to Ann Arbor. So, um, there's there's just more background virus now than there was in March. Yeah. And it feels like it's less of a threat now because we're all used to it. We're all habituated to the threat. Um, and because everyone around us is kind of going back to their normal lives, there's a good jobs report, people are buying cars, right? People are going out and about again. Um, and yet in you know, the risk is higher now than it was in March. And mm. as people start to make decisions about how exactly they're going to handle the next few months of social distancing, um, they have to keep in mind there's probably more virus out there. You know, the risk is higher now than it was in some ways um, when we were all staying in our homes all the time. The right. difference is hopefully now people have a better sense of how to not spread the virus to other people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's actually really harrowing to consider though the idea that there might be more risk now than there was two months ago when all of us here in the city of detroit knew people who were sick knew people who were dying uh i, I think that's a really important point to to, to keep making is uh, the worst of it that we remember may not yet be the worst of what we see uh, well and i i think the worst of it that we encounter you know my family is from new jersey um my parents still live there um most of my family still lives there new jersey had a very bad outbreak yes. i think it's possible that when this is all said and done you know hopefully new jersey will have among the worst outbreaks of any state um i, I don't know that i, I want to be clear that it during that at the the highest peak of the surge um, it's possible risk is down from from the, that absolute highest peak level. Mm -hmm. uh, the the difference is that there's just a lot more opportunities for spread now because people have relaxed. Because people are going thing. back to, to life, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Rob Meyer, and we're going to get to more of your calls. Brian in St. Clair Shores, Greg in Windsor, Paul in Pontiac, We'll hear from you. We'll also get to some of the Twitter comments that we're getting about this subject. If you want to join any of them, you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, or you can call us, 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. To Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, 
Thanks very much for tuning in. My guest is Robinson Meyer. Meyer, he is a staff writer at The Atlantic and recently co-wrote a story about whether America is giving up on the pandemic and all the restrictions that it imposed on us, but whether also the virus might not be done with us. Uh, it is still out there. It is still spreading. And there are still places where things are, at least in pockets, getting worse. So what are you doing? Uh, are you still social distancing in the same way that you used to? Are you going out to restaurants and bars, which just opened here in the state of Michigan this week? Uh, are you encountering other people who you had not maybe seen in several months because of the pandemic? And are you worried that maybe all this activity is premature and puts us all at risk? Uh, as always, the number here on the phone is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. I want to read some Twitter comments. We had a lot of Twitter comments today. Pat on Twitter says, I'm gravely concerned about reopening society. The main concerns are the people who do not mask up and won't put six feet between themselves and others. Thoughtless people could be the death of us all. Jeff on Twitter says, no, quote, normal to me. This thing will be with us for a long while. I won't feel secure until a reliable tested vaccine is here. Well, maybe sooner than that, but no time soon. Greg on Twitter says, uh, we were met with vitriol yesterday on our presentation on the difficulty of opening our community pool this summer. People live in emotions over facts. Uh, you can uh, go to Twitter at hashtag Detroit today and uh, we'll try to include your comments in the conversation. Uh, let's go to Greg in Windsor. Greg, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Uh, thanks for having me. Love the show. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so as I was talking to your uh, your screener, um, I work in Windsor. I'm a delivery driver. I go into multiple factories to manage their crib inventory. Uh, lately, we've been doing a lot of the PPE and the sanitizer that everyone's looking for. Um, as I'm driving around, I'm going like out for lunch. I'm seeing some places where the staff aren't even wearing masks and other places where every person in the building is practicing social distancing, wearing masks and gloves. Um, it just seems everyone's taking it as they feel applies to them and i don't think like with the world health organization that doctor who had to retract their statement yesterday about non-symptomatic carriers and spreading being very rare uh, i don't think that sort of discrepancy in the uh public discourse helps yeah no that is that is really problematic greg uh and rob i i wonder what you make of the messaging that we're getting right now about about covid19 it does as Greg points out, seem as though uh, it's become inconsistent in a way that it that it maybe wasn't before. I mean, you have companies, a lot of companies, really uh, sticking to the idea that in order to, to get back to things as quote-unquote normal, we've got to do things differently. Uh, the auto companies here in, in Michigan, uh, big employers, of course, have done an, an enormous number of things. To, to do that. But then you also have government uh, relaxing some of the things that it has said. And of course, you've got a president who's been all over the map in terms of what, what he's saying. I, it is hard, I think, for people to make sense of what what message they should adhere to and and why. Well, and I'll be honest. I mean, I think, as, as Greg said, uh, the WHO, the World Health Organization has not been great either. 
they have they have really had some some real messaging failures and and those even come you know the president focuses a lot on on how the organization did or didn't act in January or February but I think what played out this week is a is a great example where um, there was a press conference and one of the lead uh, officials at the at the who said that spread from asymptomatic cases was very rare, but she didn't even differentiate in that press conference from people who are uh, so-called pre-symptomatic, that is, people who are going to get quite sick but don't know it yet, and asymptomatic people who will never really feel um, very sick from having the virus. Mm. Uh, And we know that there's a big difference between those two groups, although, of course, if you're in one of those two groups, you (laughs) do not know. because you never know what's going to happen, that you're going to get sick in the future. Um, and then they had to walk it back a day later. They had to walk, you know, she had to walk her comments back a day later and say, actually, we, we, it wasn't even clear what she was trying to say. And it does seem like, as we've known for months now, pre-symptomatic cases can cause a lot of spread, while asymptomatic cases, it is relatively rare for a truly asymptomatic case to cause spread. Um, it, there's been a lot of messaging failure um, and there's a lot of confusion. And part of this is because public health organizations have never had to respond to a pandemic like this before. <laughs> there has never been a pandemic. You know, this is the first real civilization stopping pandemic since 1918. Um, and, there have been bad outbreaks since then, but this is a real, this is pretty different. And, you know, I normally cover science. I normally cover uh, actually climate science and earth science. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of lessons that the National Weather Service has learned about communication, that it Mm -hmm. seems like uh, the CDC and, and other public health organizations haven't learned about the importance of clarity, about the importance of actually not being conservative and, and communicating communicating risk to people as clearly as possible. Um, so on the one hand, I think people are, many authorities are just not, they don't have practice with it. I think the other issue thing that's going on is that uh, people don't know. Epidemiologists ju- just don't know this is a very new virus. At the most, the person, you know, a, a year ago, no human being had this virus. Mm-hmm. And so as far as we know, and so, we have no idea what the prognosis is for people a year after their infection. Uh, we also don't know how this runs its course. Right. Uh, and, and we don't know how it's spread. You know, it could be that air conditioning, for instance, really facilitates the spread of this virus. Um, that was something we saw with the original SARS in the mid 2000s. Um, but it's just not something we have enough data to say yet. Mm. Uh, and so, Part of the ambiguity around this, and I think part of what, you know, business owners who are trying to reopen some aspect of their business but not put their workers or themselves at risk, is there's conflicting guidance out there because there is actually true expert disagreement about the best way to deal with this. Right, right. Uh, Again, 313. 577-1019 is the number on the phones. Noah on Twitter says it's much like dealing with climate change. The people in charge, mainly 
uh, atop corporations and to a smaller extent, politicians making decisions are mainly looking at the short term, mostly ignoring the science that suggests the consequences in the long term of their actions. Andrew on Twitter says, not going back to normal in our house, still limiting contact with curbside, masks, distancing, etc. for the foreseeable future. UP vacation canceled too, but I am also out of work because I have a lung condition and the small business owner I work for refuses to wear or enforce masks. Uh, let's go to Brian in St. Clair Shores. I know. I mean, that, that, that people who are caught in situations where others' uh, negligence is affecting their ability to, to earn money or to just live their lives right now is, is really, it's one of the most irritating dynamics of, of all yeah. this. Um, uh, Brian in St. Clair Shores, go ahead. Yeah, hi, Stephen. Uh, really appreciate the show. Really appreciate all you do. Thank you. <clears throat> um, my point is pretty relevant to the point that you just made. Um, my wife recently went back to work. Um, I'm still out of work, home with our 20-month-old child. <clears throat> um, and they laid out a whole plan to return to work involving masks and social distancing and such. And as soon as they got into the environment, um, that plan was completely out the window. Oh, no. <clears throat> um, she is. She works for a law office, and none of the partners, none of the attorneys have worn a mask at any point. Like, they're somehow unable to spread or, or catch the virus. Um, and they have been violating <clears throat> the stay-at-home order going in and working from the office uh, wow. throughout this entire time. Wow. It's just wow. very, very frustrating um, to know that my wife is out there working and keeping our health insurance going and keeping some money coming in and potentially being exposed as they're in a small office space and mm. as time goes on fewer and fewer people are are even wearing masks inside wow. of there so wow. it's been very frustrating yeah no I, I i absolutely understand and i'm sorry that uh that you're having to to endure that during during this time you know rob meyer it, it does seem to me that at some point if you're sort of casting out into into the future people are going to have to get their minds around the permanent kinds of changes that or at least uh, semi-permanent kinds of changes that we're going to have to 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 be able to do i mean okay, a law office now is operating without any kind of uh, distancing or, or mask wearing. That's not going to be possible. It's not sustainable to go back to life that way is what I fear. And that we're going to have to, we're going to learn a lesson that, uh, that again, is going to cost a lot of people their health and maybe their lives before we get to that, to that point. Yeah. I mean, I think a few things. I mean, I think, this is the risk of repealing stay-at-home orders. And I think we think of when you repeal a stay-at-home order or when you, when you loosen restrictions or go to phase one or phase two reopening, we think of that as being like a, a celebratory moment of being a good thing. It means that restaurants and all these kinds of businesses, you know, stores, any businesses that people care about and want to support can now reopen and are maybe we'll hopefully be able to do a little bit better and, and we'll be able to survive through this this moment that we're in. Um, but the other side of when those orders are repealed, and obviously for the owners of those businesses, you know, it's life or death uh, for their business. Um, but the other side of when an order is repealed is uh, that 
it will mean, and let's be honest, a lot of bad bosses, a lot of bad managers are going to bring in employees without having the, the you know, infrastructure to protect those employees set up or while neglecting, you know, the infrastructure to neglect those, to protect those employees. And there's not going to be a government, you know, a, a, a place those employees can turn to for protection because there won't be an order in uh, place or there won't be a, um, there won't be something the employees will necessarily be able to point to and say, Hey, look, we should be doing this. And of course we all know how hard it is to <laughs> tell your boss they should be doing anything right. different right. in the workplace in the first place. So, uh, you know, that's the other side of these stay at home orders and, uh, and, and these reopenings. And, and I, I think it's going to be an increasing, uh, increasing issue. I, you know, the other second thing I was going to say is that, and, and I wrote this in the story that for better or for, I mean, the, the virus is not, has no consideration for morality. Right. And people are going to neglect the rules. People are going to bend the rules. They might go partying. They might go to bars. If they, if the bars are open, they'll go to pools or, or they'll do things that are, fun and very important, but that we might think of as frivolous and not get sick. And people who have to go to work because they have to go to work um, or people who are out protesting, if that's something we think is virtuous or if, you know, people who are um, taking care, have to go to work because they're taking care of other people might get sick and, and die. Mm-hmm. And there's no, the virus doesn't really care right. about why we're being exposed to it. Uh, all it wants are targets, yeah. and it—that's that, all it—that's that, all it cares about. And and there's a degree to which we all, I think, everyone, absolutely everyone involved, basically thinks that to some degree we can spin away the harm. We can like tell a story about that that takes away some of the harm of this virus, and that's just not possible. And in some ways we can all take the most precautions that we can, but um, it, it, it's just a really arbitrary and awful disease. Yeah. And, and there's yeah. not much we can, you know, it's, it, it, it's going to strike a lot of people um, who will have been working very hard to protect themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Robinson Meyer, staff writer at the Atlantic. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Hey, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. All right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk with a social epidemiologist about racism as a public health crisis. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. 